in your hotel room, wherever you are this weekend or this week, that you would be refreshed by the power and the presence of God and his word and the fact that he's pursuing you and your family um, and that his love does find us. Our prayers, we're all refreshed as we 
look to him today. Yeah. First Peter says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Amen. Aren't you glad that you're born into a living hope? Man, that should just stir you this morning. That through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance of imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through your faith. Sorry, the, I sometimes lose this because the microphone gets in my way. But I want you to catch this. <laughs> God's power for you is being guarded through your faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Man, if you think that what God has revealed to you so far is awesome, you just hang on. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And he calls us to rejoice, though now for a little while, while it's necessary, you may have been grieved by various trials. Oh, wait. We don't want to preach that, do we? Sorry. We don't. Disregard that, right? We should strike that from, no. Like Paul is saying, yes, we have this beautiful inheritance. We have a great glory. He says, even though we may be grieved by these little trials, these little testings to genuine, of the genuineness of our faith, because what's gonna be revealed is more precious than gold. Man, you know, when gold's put in the fire, everything else that's not precious is taken out. And it becomes more pure and more pure. What you think about this morning? Man, maybe you're walking through something. Maybe it's tough. Maybe it's been a trial. Maybe it's been a testing of your faith. Maybe you're not there yet. But hold on to this because it's coming. And it's not that we should dread it. It's not that it should be hurtful. We should rejoice. He says, consider it joy. And we're to find joy in it. Paul says the same thing. James says the same thing. Jesus said the same thing. Blessed are those who suffer, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who understand their hunger and their need for God, for they're the ones that shall be filled. We're jumping in this next song, God So Loved. And it says that, come, if you're weary or if you need Jesus or if there's a a void in your life that you can't quite set into. Maybe there's a trial you're walking through. Let's cry out this morning that God would reveal himself and make himself known. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've called us together today. God, even though we may be separated in the distance of our living rooms, God, you've called us together yet for a purpose, yet for a reason to speak your word and your truth and reveal in our hearts who you are. So today, would you make yourself known in us, we pray in Jesus' name.
Aren't you glad we could sing that song in truth and in faith? Oh, God, you never stop. You never stop chasing. Oh, that we could really see the truth in that. I mean, really see it, fully see. I mean, we get it, but do we really get it? Are we still trying to do it on our own? Are we still trying to make it on our own? Are we still trying to earn His love? Oh, you never stop wanting me. You never stop calling my name. Oh, God, that our ears would hear this morning the call of our name off your lips. God, as Zephaniah says, that we would hear you singing over us songs of victory. Oh, God, so many times we, we just not, we're not there. Would you take us there? So many times we're not, just not open. Would you open us? So many times we've let the things of this world get in the way. God, we're trying to take this journey, but we've buried ourselves with weight. And you ask us to travel light because you have a great purpose on our life. Here we are so burdened that we can't do it. So this morning, Jesus, we just give you our burdens. We unpack. We unpack these things that have been hidden a long time. And God, we open doors and closets that have been shut a long time. God, that your healing wave would move in surround us. Oh, Jesus, we ask these things this morning. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for tuning in this Memorial Day. I don't know what plans you have. Some of you are already planning. Some of you are already doing. That's awesome. You're going to spend time with your family. I hope you get that moment this week to, to pull your family in close, to pull your babies in close and Pull your loved ones in close. Man, that's going to be so good. I hope you get to enjoy that. I hope you enjoy the rest of this service. Please stick around. Take the next few moments. Open your app. Go online. Pull out the checkbook. Right there in front of your kids. Show them your faith. Show them that you put your trust in God. Show them that your faith is in God. Not in what the pocketbook says. Not in what Wall Street says. But in what he says. Amen. So let's take a few moments. We're going to transition here. We're going to give you a chance to do your tithing offering. and Or maybe you just need to spend a little more time in prayer with the Lord. Would you do that? All right, we'll be right back.
Man, welcome back. It's good to be with you. Man, I've got another great privilege this morning to preach, and I can't tell you how exciting I get when I get these moments. Um, I tell you what excites me most is the study. I, I love uh, digging into the Word, but I love it most when I hear God speaking. Man, when you kind of get that sense that God is telling you something, like He's revealing something to you, and I get to share that. And so, as you know, I've been in a series here, and um, I, I, the series I've titled "Living on Mission," and I've kind of started it a little while back. We started with travel light, traveling light, but with great purpose, and. I'm just going to do a recap here in case you're tuning in right now. Um, man, go back and listen to those. I, I've been excited in this uh, series. I think it's really been good. I think it's um, going to be good for a lot of people. But the first one on this Living on Mission series was Travel Light but with Great Purpose. And it's a, it's a quote that I've picked up in, in life, and it kind of helps shape my thoughts and, and what I think about my philosophy of life. Uh, but the question was, is, are you overburdened? Because the thing is, is God has called us to lay our burdens down at his feet. And so many times we become so burdened that we're not able to live on mission. We're not able to live the mission that God's called us to because we're not able to move in the moment. And I shared a little bit about David. Here was David who was living, he was traveling light. I mean, he was carrying a, a cart full of cheese and, and um, bread. But that's not what we're talking about in traveling light. It's not the load that he was physically carrying. But here is a man who comes up deliver cheese and bread to his brothers, and Goliath stands there, and he's defying the Lord and the armies of the Lord. He's defying the purpose of God for Israel. And David's like, man, is nobody going to stand up to this guy? And so here David, he moves into the moment because he was traveling light. You see, there's an eternal purpose on your life, and that purpose is the call to live on mission. And we talked about how that means stepping out into the unknown. It requires us to step into the unknown, and we looked at the call of Abram. As God calls him, he says, I want you to come with me, and I'll show you on the way. I'll let you know as we go. And then the second one was never, I've never been there before. And when we begin to step out in mission, when we begin to travel in the journey that God is setting for us, we're going to step into a lot of things we've never done before. We're going to see things we've never seen before. Because God is calling us into an adventure, into an energetic, lively, exciting mission that there's something exciting that God has set in front of you. And he calls Abram and says, go, I will show you on the way. And he calls him to step out into this unknown. He calls him to step out into the darkness. And he does that so he can do three things. One, he can show us your identity, show you who you are, that God has been given you an identity. The second thing is he will pull away, he will strip you of predictability. The things in your life that you've been leaning on, the things that you've been resting on, the things that you've been putting your trust and your hope in, God will begin to pull these things aside so that you can only find your hope and trust in him. Because your story reveals the hand of God. He wants to show you why you're here. And the third thing, he wants to show you his provision, to show you what he's planned for you. Your purpose is designated, and it's mapped out, and there's a map just for you. And so today, I'm jumping into the third series, and the title of this one is, That's Gonna Leave a Mark. And if you've ever hung out with a bunch of guys, that maybe the guys will get this, the girls won't. If you've ever kind of hung out with a bunch of guys, it doesn't take long before there's a comparison of scars, right? Like some guy starts talking about his scars, and 
Then the next guy has got to trump him, right? He's got a bigger scar. He's got a better story. And so this kind of one-upman starts happening with the stories, and I, I love it. Um, and so I'm going to take advantage of this this morning because no one else is here to share their story. You know, if you live with God long, if you live this dedicated life of serving and following him, you're going to have some scars. And the thing is, we tend to think of these scars in negative terms. We tend to think of these scars as the pain that we see. But yet, throughout the scripture, we're told by the apostles, we're told by, these, by the writers that these scars are for our joy. And you, you might be thinking, well, what do you mean by that? Let me tell you this story. I won't tell you the full story because it's going to lead to something else. I, I've had friends in my life I've had to stop hanging out with. You know why? Because we always come home with stories. And I was starting to get afraid that one of the stories might get out of hand. And I remember one of my buddies that um, I had a journey, a part of my life with, his name was Kenny, a great friend of mine who lives out in Oregon. And I remember the first time I really got to meet him, or he got to meet me, I should say, really know who I was. I had climbed up in this tree over this lake, and this tree breaks. <laughs> and so I ride this tree all the way down into the water. <laughs> it was quite a show. Uh, in fact, there was a guy down the way on the dock who was on the phone with his friend who just bust out dying laughing. He's like, dude, you'll never believe what I just saw. This guy was in the street. And he's just telling the whole story. And so that leaves a mark. But it's probably not the mark you're thinking. You know, it leaves a mark because my friend watched that and he saw that I was willing to do some crazy things and he's like, I think I might hang out with that dude. And we did some crazy things together. I remember one day we're out fishing and this storm starts to come on this lake and we're in this little canoe. And I'm like, hey, man, we probably should go to shore. He's like, ah, we'd be fine, man. I'm like, no, I think this storm's coming up. It's, it's going to be fun. He's like, nah, we'll be good. And so I'm like, all right. So we're fishing. All of a sudden, rain starts to come down. And he's like, oh, yeah, maybe we should go. And then we start getting fish. I don't know if you've ever fished in a rainstorm, but sometimes that's the best time to be fishing. And so we all started catching fish, like left and right. And so we're like, forget it. We're staying. And it didn't take long before the waves start coming over the side of the canoe, and the canoe starts filling up. <laughs> and we start to think, well, maybe we should start heading for shore. <laughs> so we spend the whole time getting to shore, going, trying to unload our canoe as we're going. The waves are coming over. We eventually did get to shore. Our canoe was full, but it was a great story. We lost some stuff in the, in the lake because it floats out. And so this is, again, another guy that I would leave a mark with again. And we would go, I remember we floated down this river in the canoe again. This was a river you shouldn't have went down a canoe in. It was funny, when we pulled up to the launch with our canoe, <laughs> people looked at us like we were crazy. <laughs> uh, I can't tell these stories but laugh because they're just so funny to me. And so here we are with our little canoe, and we tied our stuff in trash bags, right? We didn't have the money to afford real stuff. <laughs> and so we load up. And, we, you know, we're just, man, we're just happy going down the river. And we come to our first sets of rapids, and we sink the canoe. <laughs> and so we managed to get it to the shore and unload it, unpack it, and empty it out. We had tied everything in because we figured that would probably happen. And there wasn't a, 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 a rapids we went through that we did not sink that canoe in. It was quite a journey. And um, so finally we just got to the point where we're like, well, if we can go through in a sunk canoe, then we can go in without a canoe. <laughs> so we decided to go up the river and, and ride down the rapids 
um, several times through these washes, just with our life vest on. Um, but man, this begins to leave a mark in your life, and it begins to leave a mark on someone else's life. You know, these marks are what knit us together. These marks are what pull us tighter together. When we walk through these moments, we can look back together and go, hey, man, remember that time? Man, we, why did we do that? <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of a story when I was in college. Um, we would go out to the Hawassi River and jump off this cliff and cliff dive into the river. It was about a 50-foot jump, and we would jump off and land in the river. And um, I was always the goofball who went ahead first. And I remember we were sitting in the dorms, and it was March. And I'm like, man, wouldn't it be so much fun to go cliff diving, like right now? And um, I don't know if my friend knew me or it was just being goofy, but he goes, I, you wouldn't jump if we went there. I was like, no, that's the whole point. I would jump if we went there. <laughs> He's like, no, you wouldn't. I said, I tell you what, I'll jump three times if you jump once. And so we load up and we go out, on, out to the river. And I remember I, I just went over, looked over the edge to make sure there wasn't a, tr a tree log down there. And I remember running and jumping off this ledge. And I remember how cold that water was. I remember hitting that water, losing my breath, and I remember hitting ice. <laughs> like, this is crazy. What are we doing? But there's those moments in life where you do some crazy things, and in the midst of that, you feel alive. You feel lively. You feel excited. You feel this rush that flows through your body. And I remember I was like, well, if I said I'd do it three times, i got to do it three times. And so I remember doing, I jumped three times in the freezing water. It was so cold. And we get back in our car. I get back in my car, and we start taking off. I'm like, we got to get the car going. i got to, you know, get the heater going. And I remember I went into hypothermia. And I, I'm sitting there trying to drive my car. My body is just shaking and convulsing. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, I'm like, we're going to die. I'm, one, I'm going to die from hypothermia. Two, we're going to die because I'm going to wreck the car. <laughs> And so my buddy has to kind of like try to take over the control of the car, and I'm trying to find something to wrap myself in better to warm up. And the funny thing is my life, I find it with a series of moments where I almost die. Somehow my life is shaped this. Like I have so many near-death experiences, it, it doesn't make sense. But you see these things leave a mark, and they leave a mark on the people I was with. You see, God doesn't lead us into temptation. He redeems us from our sin and the sins of others. You see, he will lead us into testing. He will lead us into moments of testing. But this isn't for temptation. He leads us into moments of testing, proving not that we are sons of God, but that he is a good father. His fatherness proves our sonship. You may be saying, well, what, what are you talking about? If you remember the story of Adam, Adam is here and he's in the garden and he's faced with temptation. Satan comes in to tempt him and he's being tested. Do you really believe that you are a son of God? Do you really believe that God has marked you? Do you really believe that God's hand is on your life? And we see a parallel with that in Christ when he enters in the, the, the wilderness. And so I want to jump into that this morning, Matthew 4 and so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, and I want to pray and ask God that he would come in here and 
just fill me with his presence and, and give me his strength. So, Lord Jesus, I do. God, I thank you for the prayers of the saints right now that are being extended toward me. God, I thank you for your word, God, that I get the privilege of preaching and sharing. God, I thank you that you would take my life and you would shape these things into me so they could come out of me. God, that you would write my story. God, that you would write the days of my life. That you would write the chaos. God, that you would write the adventure. That you would write the insanity. But God, you do that. God, and you've marked my life. God, you've marked it with my friends. God, you've marked it through pain. You've marked it in the valley. But God, I can stand here today in great joy and say I look at those moments with a joy and with tearful laugh because you are a proven father who loves me. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. In Matthew 4, 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to come, become loaves of bread. But he answered to them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father's mouth. And so I want to break these down and look at the three different temptations that Jesus walks into. I want to compare them with other stories in the Bible. But more importantly, I want us to be able to take a look introspectively at these things. Because when the, Satan came into the garden and he begins to tempt Eve, he says, did God really say? And maybe you're sitting at home this morning or in your office or wherever you are and you're listening to this and you've heard the enemy echo in your ear over and over, did God really say? I mean, come on, did God really say? Look at your life. I mean, look at the circumstances. Did God really say that? And so he comes up to Eve and says, did God really say that you could eat of all the fruit? Well, why not that tree? Oh, it's because God is withholding from you. The enemy begins to plant this idea, this seed, this lie into the mind and heart of Eve. And into the mind and the heart of Adam that God is withholding from you. If you've lived long, you've felt this. You've felt the words of the enemy speak to you that God is withholding. That in your heart you feel like there's a promise for something, but God is withholding. You see, the enemy would love to tell you that. But in the end of that, God would like to show you something. You see, Jesus here is being tested. He's being tested in three ways. One is being tested in his identity. Satan comes, are, are you really the son of God? I mean, he calls him here, he says, if you are the son of God. I mean, are you really the son of God? I mean, we've had several people who've come and said they're the Messiah. You know, I mean, and they've all failed and fought. What about you? Oh, you're really the son of God, are you? Then why are you starving? I mean, if you're the son of God, why are you starving? I mean, you can just speak to these stones and make them bread. I mean, if you're the son of God. And you can almost kind of see this dialogue. Satan is kind of being sarcastically rude and Jesus having to endure this. 
Are you really his son? I mean, does God treat his sons this way? Well, I mean, if, if you were my son, I wouldn't treat you that way. I mean, maybe you've heard these things. Maybe you've had these thoughts stirred in your mind. Maybe others have said this to you. Jesus was being tested in his identity. Are you really? Because he had heard the word of the Lord. Here's Jesus right before this chapter where he was baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, what happens? Oh, he hears the voice of God say, you are my son in whom, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he's moved to the wilderness and he's fasting, he's hungry. And Satan goes, are you really his son? I mean, come on, I know he said that, but does this how he treats his son? I mean, did God really say this? And it's cool. I love Jesus' response here because we, we kind of read Jesus' response just in the text of what's happening. But Jesus makes a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in making a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8, he brings up the story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt, going to the promised land. And his response is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the Father's mouth. Now, Jesus quotes scripture here. And he creates this reference to the Israel, the true sons of God in, in ethnic form. And as Israel walks through the wilderness where they failed, Jesus is victorious. Catch this. Where the children of Israel failed, Jesus is victorious. Deuteronomy 8, 23, 8, chapter Excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 through 3 says this. And you shall remember, this is Moses when he is giving them the charge into the land. He says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember it, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Catch this. Here's Jesus in the wilderness. He's being tested. And Satan comes and says, oh, well, why would God do this if you're his real son? Oh, oh, let me, let me, let me show you. Hey, oh, let me, let, me, let me teach you. Let me show you what Moses said. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger. But catch this. And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. You see, in their hunger, in their quest for identity, in their quest for purpose, in their quest for fulfillment, I hope you can see this in your life right now. As Israel is on this journey to the promises of God. They're on this journey to find out who they are, their identity, their purpose, the provision of God. As they're on this journey, they failed to trust God, but rather they worked out their own establishment of what God's word meant. So many times don't we do that? We hear the voice of God. We hear the word of God that says, go. It calls us on this mission. It calls us to live on mission. And we step out, and the first thing we usually always do is we try to figure it out on our own. And then we le we're led into this testing where God makes us hungry. 
And we become hungry so that he can satisfy. Why does he do that? So we can see him as our sustaining source. Are you seeing Jesus as your sustaining source? Is he your sustaining source? You see, they didn't do that. They despised it. They grumbled against it. They rose up in rebellion. Yet Jesus is here in the contrast. He is in his obedience, and he is trusting in his Father's plan. Satan says, man, if if you're really the Son of God, why don't you just, you know, take care of yourself? I mean, you have the authority, right? You have the power to speak to these stones, and they can be good. I mean, if you are the Son of God, you can do that. And Jesus' response is, no, I'm not here. My identity doesn't rest in what I do. My identity rests in who he is. And God will strip me of my identity so that I can see his identity. You see, the story in the garden is not that Adam fell. The story in the garden is that that God was faithful, that God restores, that God took upon himself the punishment that was due Adam. The story of Abram is not about Abram, but it's the faithfulness of God that through his brokenness, that through his weakness, that through his inability, God would come through and provide the promise. The story in David is not of David, but that no matter what obstacle comes against you, it cannot stop the purpose of God in your life. See, these stories matter Why? Because they're a story of God's faithfulness. Your story matters. You know why? Because it's a story of God's faithfulness. The testing isn't to prove your identity as a son. It isn't so that you can say, man, I'm a son. The the purpose is to prove the goodness of the Father. If you'll remember the story of Lazarus, here Lazarus is, the word comes to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick. Can you come heal him? Yeah, I'm coming. And Jesus says, I'm coming. And yet Lazarus dies. And his sisters come. His sister comes and says, you know, if, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But she said, I believe you're the resurrection of life. I mean, I believe you can do what you want to do. It was almost like, hint, hint, wink, wink. Hey, you, you could do this if you want to. And Jesus says, I do want to do this. Not so that Lazarus could be restored. This isn't about restoring Lazarus. This isn't about restoring Lazarus. This is about revealing that Jesus is Lord over death. The point of the story isn't Lazarus. The point of the story is Jesus. And God would look down on us today. He would look down on you, my friend. And he would say, I've called you. Follow me. Come on, follow me. I've called you. I've called you. Follow me. The second testing we'll see we walk into is we're tested in our story. Is this really the purpose of God for your life? Right after that in verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and their hands that on their, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And here is Satan. If you're the son of God, well, throw yourself down and take up your own destiny. 
I mean, if you have a destiny in your life, then go get it. Is God really true to his promise? Satan would say. And he would ask Jesus to exchange his faith for sight. You see, God calls us to step out in faith and follow him in faith. That it was because of Abraham's faith, it was accredited to him as righteousness. It wasn't what Abraham saw, it was what Abraham believed. And it's not what you see, sir, ma'am, young person. It is not what you see that you rest your hope in. It is faith. Pastor John preached on this a little while back. It's faith. Go back and listen. It was a great sermon on faith. Satan was not asking Jesus to disobey Scripture, but to fulfill it. Do you see that? Oh, well, God said if, if, if you, the angels would catch you, right? Isn't that what the Word says? That, that God will protect you and keep you so much that if he needs angels to rescue you, he will. You see, he's not asking him to disobey Scripture, but to fulfill it. And the world would say to you, if you want something in life, then go take it. You know, if you just work hard, you can get it. Go chase your dreams, right? I mean, we hear these things in, in life. You know, if you want something, just whatever your heart wants, go get it. You know, if you can work hard enough, you can achieve anything. You know, we hear the lie of the enemy all the time saying this. Our kids go to school hearing this all the time. But life isn't what you can take. Life isn't what you can make. Life isn't what you can gather to yourself. Life isn't what you can hoard. You see, Jesus is the contrast of this. Instead of Jesus, instead of it's chase your dreams, Jesus says, yet I am. I am. Well, well God, I, I'm hungry. I am. Well, God, I'm lost. I am. Well, God, I, I just don't know what to do. I am. God, I, how do I get saved? I am. God, well, how do I find pleasure in God? I, I am. To anything in life that you would find a question, Jesus would say, I am. And he would say, rest in me, rest in me. Rest in me. You see, the thing is, the world wants you to work and strive. The world wants you to earn it. Jesus says, oh, I've already earned it. I've already earned it. Everything you need, everything you want, everything you seek, everything you desire, I've earned it. It's like the, prodigal, the brother of the prodigal son who stayed at home, and he was grumpy because he doesn't get it. The father said, what? Anything you want, it's here. Satan will tell you to go take it. Go get your destiny. Go find your destiny and take hold of it. I've heard some preachers say that, but I've never heard Jesus say that. Yet Christ says, I am. Rest in my purpose. You see, Satan doesn't contradict Scripture here like he did in the garden. But he tells Jesus that if he is who he said he is, then he should show the world. I mean, if you're, if you're really called to do this ministry, then show the world how good you are at it. I mean, or you would hear preachers say, well, if you only had enough faith. You know, you don't have that because you don't have enough faith. No, no that's not how that works. You see, it's not faith to demand God show up and complete his word. 
That is not what faith is. Faith isn't a demand we put on God. See, this isn't to receive testing, but to put God at the test. You see, God calls us to receive the test, not to put them to the test. You know, Sarah did the same thing when she gave her handmaiden to Abram. She said, well, I know God said he was going to bring a promise, and he hasn't done it yet, so maybe it's not going to be through me. Yet, the word of the God was, the word of the Father was it was going to come through Abram and Sarah. And yet, she gives Hagar to Abram to bear him a child through her. It's not faith to demand that God fulfill his promise. It's not faith to demand that God would do what he said he would do. It's faith to wait upon the Lord. It's faith to receive strength in the waiting. It's faith to have eyes that see beyond the natural into the spiritual. You see, the promise of God often doesn't just feel delayed. It seems impossible. Let's say that again. The promise of God doesn't often feel delayed. It seems impossible. And maybe you're sitting right now in area of your life and it feels impossible. Maybe you're looking at a dead corpse of dead Lazarus going, well, if God would have been here, it would have happened. If God would have been here, he could have done this. You see, when we look at our broken life, when we look at our brokenness, our disjointedness, when we look at all this, we often go, well, how could God? You know, I tell you that in this there's a testing of our story, of us finding our purpose. And so many times in life, I feel like my whole life feels like a series of growth followed by extreme failure. That in the world's eyes, it would look like it didn't work. There's been a lot of unrecognized moments where I thought, man, maybe at least a little bit of recognition would have been nice. You see, my first youth pastor, I became a youth pastor fresh out of college, just on fire for Jesus. And our youth group began to grow. And then I lost it all because some people in the church literally didn't want that many kids there. I don't know how that works, but. And then I find myself in one place after another where it looks like success. It looks like things are growing. It looks like life is happening. It looks like things are working out only to be ended abruptly. We followed God's call out to Oregon and we saw a nonprofit take off where the community got involved in meeting social needs and 
it felt like we were meeting one need after another, and people were on board with this, and it started making waves. Officials, church officials, state officials started coming to check out what we were doing, and like, how do we reproduce this in other places? And then it, it seems to have become unrecognized in what God is doing, and so I find myself in a season outside of ministry, working a job, and all of a sudden while I'm there, our job production triples, our sales triple. Then it looks like things are going good, and we're making $12 million deals happen, and man, it's looking good, and then all of a sudden, boss walks in, he says, I've sold the company. And what do you do when your story doesn't look right? What do you do when your story doesn't add up the way it should in your head? You see, I go through all this to prove that my calling and my work and my position isn't granted by men, but it's established on the Word of God. Everywhere I've been, everywhere I've been sad, it hasn't been because man has established or said it, it's because God has done it. And no matter what the journey looks like, no matter the valleys that you walk through, the story of the gospel is that he is here, that God is with you, that you are not alone. Can you see that in the valley, that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. You know why? Because he's with me. Because I'm not alone. Oh, if you'll just cast yourself off this temple, God will have to prove that he's for you. Oh, no, Jesus didn't need that to prove that God was with him. Jesus already knew that God was with him. I don't know if you're looking in your life for proof that God is with you, but I tell you, if you'll just look very shallowly, you'll find it, but you have to look in the right place. It's not in how the world measures success. It's in his still, quiet voice. The third way that we receive testing is that do we trust God's provision? Do we trust God's plan? And here Satan brings it to his final temptation. It says, again, the devil took him, in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a high and very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, Angels came and were ministering to him. <clears throat> Satan looks at Jesus and says, if you'll bow down, all of these I'll give these to you. And I, I find that humorous because as if Satan had the power to give that away. <laughs> I mean, as if those were Satan's to give. You know, and this isn't a prescription for us because Satan is not going to tempt us with all the kingdoms of the world. In fact, what he tempts us with is a lot less than that. 
But this isn't a test of whether Jesus will bow down or not. This is a test of, are you God's equal or are you God's servant? Are you God's equal or are you God's servant? You see, Satan likes to create this false notion, this false narrative, and he wants to plant this idea in your mind that he's the advocate for you. That he's the one who's going to deliver you from this mean, oppressive God. I mean, how many times have you heard these things? I just got to turn on the, the TV and I hear these things. That somehow Satan is going to deliver you. Or maybe it's some guy on TV talking about how he's going to be these things or how he cares about you and he's going to be your advocate. You see, Adam desired a greater authority than God had given him. And he lost everything. Jesus desired to serve and obey his father. And he gained everything. You see, have you come to get power? Have you come to get authority? Have you come to get a place of recognition? Do you desire to be God's equal or God's servant? I remember when we went out in Oregon. It's like midnight, I think it was. We got a phone call. Um, it was one of these cold nights, and there were like 20, 30 homeless kids piled up in a hotel room. And I get a call, and it's like, man, we're hungry. None of us have eaten all day long. And so I'm like, I don't know, what am I, you know, it's kind of annoying, right? It's like, I'm in bed already, now i got to get up out of bed, get clothes on. I mean, where do you get a pizza at midnight? I, I don't know, I'm never up at midnight, so I, I don't know these things, right? <laughs> and so um, Little Caesars happened to be open, so I remember loading up, me and my wife, get up, get dressed, go out. And we go pick up these pizzas, and I remember driving back, and the cops pulled me over. I'm thinking... Why am I getting pulled over? And I remember the cop comes to the door and he's like, um, he's like, so, so what are you guys doing? I'm like, well, um, we're taking pizzas to about 20, 30 homeless teenagers. And <laughs> I remember his next words. He's like, are you drunk? <laughs> like, who does that at midnight? You know, the thing is, 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 Do we desire status? Do we desire that level of importance? Do we desire to be put up on this pedestal that someone can look at us and go, oh man, what a godly saint you are. Or maybe we're just willing to get out of bed at midnight to go take a pizza to someone who's hungry. Are you a steward? Are you a servant of God? Are you fighting to be his equal? You see, he is faithful to keep you. Catch this, please. He is faithful to keep you, to bring you to completion. You see, this isn't your work. It's his. You're like, well, then what is my work then, Wade? Like, what am I supposed to do? I feel like I need to do something. Well, it's simple. He says love. In fact, love your neighbor. Love your enemy. You want to know what you're supposed to do? Go love. Well, God, I can't love. Good, I know. That's why I want to put love in your heart. He says, I want you to forgive. God, I can't forgive. Do you know what those people did to me? I know. Do you know what I forgave you of? 
He wants you to share your story. What do you mean, share my story? You know, this will probably work its way into a sermon one time, like a full sermon, but I'm going to give you the snippet of this. You know, when Jesus calls the disciple, he calls Peter and James and John and Andrew. These guys are fishermen. And he calls them. And, you know, we like to think that the mission of God, the purpose of God in our life starts when he calls us. But yet it doesn't. Because when he calls them, he says, won't you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I'm sure there was a lot of perplexity. And what does that mean to be a fisher of men? And they lose sight of that, and they find themselves out on the boat again fishing, and they fished all night long, and they haven't caught anything. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, well, try one more time. Just throw your net. Cast your net. And so they do. They cast their net, and the net is so full of fish they can't bring it in. They have to have other help. And if you remember the story, Peter jumps out of the boat then, and he runs to the shore to see Jesus. He gets it. He gets, God, you have been preparing my whole life to this point, to this purpose. And Peter gets it and he stands up at the day of Pentecost and he casts the net. You see, God's called us to cast our nets, to tell our story. And he calls us to be generous. But yet, we keep trying to work out our own destiny, our own path. We keep trying to work out our own salvation, our own way. And he says, it's not your work, it's him. You see, God will lead us into testing. But it's not to prove that we're the sons of God. It's to prove that he is our father. I hope you can catch this. Man, so many times we want to prove that we're our our, that we're a son of God. We want to prove that we're godly or prove that we're righteous or prove that we're good. We want to prove these things. We want to win the favor. It's like a child who wants to earn his father's love. But yet that's not the story. The story is not of our sonship. The story is of his fatherhood. And he's the good father. And he's the one who adopts us into his home so that he can love us like his sons. His fatherhood is proof of our sonship. Our sonship is not proof of his fatherhood. You see, living our mission is a calling. It's a calling that will encounter trials. Brooke, if you'll come on up. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy. How are we supposed to count these things as all joy? Count these things as all joy when you meet trials of various kind. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. Maybe you find yourself this morning feeling like there's a lack in your life. Like something's lacking, like there's an empty hole, like there's something missing. Maybe you find yourself listening to the voice of the enemy saying, 
oh, if God really loved you, he wouldn't bring you through this. Maybe you hear the voice of the enemy saying, did God really say that? I mean, did God really make that promise? Maybe you hear the voice of the enemy speaking to you today that says, well, if God loves you, he wouldn't be withholding this from you, would he? I mean, why is God withholding from you? And maybe you find yourself this morning and as we read the book of James, it says, if anyone lacks, let him ask. But ask in faith. So as I end this today, I would say, let us ask, let us pray, let us ask. Not that God would give us what we are lacking, but that he would reveal to us how good a father he is. You see, so many times we pray, we pray for our lacking and not pray for the revelation of God as our father. I came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He said, our father who art in heaven. He sees a self-revealing God. He reveals who he is. We don't find him, he finds us. We don't pursue him, he pursues us. We don't chase him, he chases us. And he's a good father. So let us pray and let us ask, Lord Jesus, you said he's a good father. I trust you. But God, I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel that he's a good father. I don't always trust that he's got my best interest in mind. I don't always believe that where he's leading me is the right path. So God, in faith today, I pray and we ask, would you fill our gap? Would you fill our lack? Not with the things that we think we need, but would you fill them with you? Would you show us that you're the good father? Would you move to holes right now? Move into the car right now. Move into the workplace, the, the cubicle. Just wrap your loving arms around your children. You are a good father. And you love your children with an everlasting love. You chase us and you pursue us and you call us back. And yeah, you lead us to temptation. But it's not to prove, you lead us into testing, sorry. You lead us into the testing, but not to prove that we're righteous, but to prove that you're good. Would you show us that you're good? Turn our eyes from our situation and our circumstance. Let us look up to heaven today, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple things as we close. Man, I am so excited to announce that next week these doors are open. And we want to invite you to join us in-house. If you don't think you can come, we're still going to stream. If you don't think you can make it, if you feel caution, that's okay. We're still going to stream. And you can sit at home and you can have the same experience. But next week, we want to invite you, if you're willing and able, if you feel healthy enough, that our doors will be open. 
that we're ready to get back together as a body and worship the Lord. Amen? Man, I look so forward to seeing you guys with us. And one last thing as I close, I want to give us an opportunity to step out in mission as a church. Last week I had mentioned that there was an opportunity that's come to our church to love on some single moms. And that's coming. We're going to get the opportunity to get food boxes and we're going to be able to deliver those to um, widows and to single moms. The Bible tells us that we're to care for our widows and orphans. And so this is a great opportunity we're going to get to do that. And so I'm going to give you a chance as we do this. I want you to pull out your cell phone. Go ahead, pull out your cell phone. Open the church app. I'm going to wait for you. Get your cell phone. If you don't have the app, would you please download it? This is the best way that we have to communicate with you. And if you'll go on there, you'll see our listing of events. You'll see sermons. You'll see ways that you can connect. And I'm going to show you one right now. So open your app and go to it. You'll see that there's a, a list of pictures. If you'll go down, click on the one that says connect. It's a picture of one of our greeters hugging one of our attendees. Because that's who we are, of course. But it's going to be fun the next few weeks. We'll figure that out. But... Open that up, and you'll see down there it says widows and orphans. Would you click on that? That's a little form to fill out. And I'm going to ask you, if you know of a single mother or a widow that this church could love, that you could love, would you put down her little bit of her, her information? Would you put down your information so we can know? This week, we got the opportunity to, to get milk. I know it's a simple, seems like a simple thing, but milk. And I'd love to, to bless some widows and some single mothers with this. So if you know of a single mother or a widow who could use this, would you fill out the form for them so we can contact you when we get this milk in so that you can come pick it up and deliver it? And maybe a cool thing that may be neat, if, if this is for a, a single mother, why not go out and buy a cereal and give it with it. Why don't you go ahead and maybe get some chocolate powder or some squeezed chocolate and, and give to them. It's a simple token to love somebody. And so I asked, would you do that? My hope is that we can bless 100 widows or 100 single moms, 100 families. Maybe you're watching and you're that widow. Would you fill it out for you or Maybe you're the single mom. Would you fill it out for you? Man, we would love to bless you so much. Thank you guys for tuning in. We love you. We look so forward to seeing you next Sunday at Christ Chapel. Have a good day.